evening I'm going to share with you a little bit of a spicy sermon out of 2 Samuel. And in chapter 11, I want to tell you a story that some of you may be familiar with. But I want to draw out some parallels and some principles for our world today. If we have ever needed a message on the sexual sobriety of the mind, it's now. Why is it that the two things, three things that people want more of, the church is so afraid to talk about, sex, money, and power? Because God is the author of all three. But until you receive his revelation about how those things should be identified, you will seek the world's solution and end up with a broken heart. For what does it profit a man to gain the world and lose his own soul? But since God is the author of covenant, since God is the author of resource, since God holds all true ultimate power, the more you know him, the more you will come into that which he provides. For the Bible says, the Lord will withhold no good thing from those whom he loves. We live in a culture that is awash in the worship of sexual principalities and powers that end up leaving young men and young women with broken hearts and destroyed identities. And anytime that you allow the world to tell you who you are, they will stamp their pagan identity on your heart and call you their own. The reality is, is that we live in the midst of one of the greatest generational identity crises that there has ever been. People are running around looking for affirmation and affiliation. One of the great things about the internet is it gives everybody a voice. One of the terrible things about the internet is that it gives everybody a voice. And what we have done is created subgroups around trauma and abuse and dysfunction. We've called it community. And the reality is everybody goes to church somewhere <clears throat> because you were created for connection and for community. But until your mind is renewed to think like God thinks about the circumstances of life, You'll spend a lot of time and energy seeking things that you think will bring you fulfillment that actually do not fulfill the longing cry of the heart condition. 2 Samuel 11, starting in verse 1. Watch what the Bible says. In the spring, at the time when kings would go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites. They besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. Let me stop there for a moment because you got to get this in your spirit tonight, friend. In the spring, at the time when kings would go off to war, King David stayed home. Now you might say, well, why do they go to war in spring? Well, number one, it was warmer. Number two, the chariots could run on the ground without getting stuck in the mud. And number three, it was harvest season. So an invading army could live off the spoils of the land in the midst of their military campaign. Spring was the designated time of war for the nation of Israel. Everyone got the memo except David. Now hear me, friend. There's a danger in not understanding the natural seasons of life there's an even greater danger in not understanding the spiritual season you are in and failing to engage with the fight that's right in front of you. See, Jesus wept over Jerusalem because they did not know what day it was. Jesus admonished his disciples in the garden of Gethsemane because they did not know what hour it was. There is a day of visitation. There are seasons of encounter. There are divine windows of time by which the water is stirring. Listen, pursuit, we are not gonna miss our moment. It is springtime in the spirit and it is time to engage with everything that you've got. See, if I don't know my season, how can I be adequately prepared to fight? No, it's our jobs as believers to have ears tuned to the frequency of heaven. And when the Lord says it's time, we respond, speak, Lord, your servants is listening. I don't know if you've ever had this experience where you forget what day of the week it is. You wake up on a Saturday thinking it's Friday. You've slept in. You wake up in a panic feeling like you have just missed your class, feeling like you are running late for that test. You wake up in a hurry, you get dressed, you barely brush your teeth, you're running out the door only to check your phone one last time and realize it is not Friday, it is Saturday. 
all of a sudden you got stirred up for no reason. You're breathing heavy, you're sweating, you're running, you're in chaos, you're in anxiety, you're in terror. I can't miss another class. What's gonna happen to my grade? I swore I was gonna be there. How could I sleep in and miss my alarm? You got confused about what day it was. Two years ago when COVID shut down just about every church in this region, I didn't wanna fight the state government to keep our church open. But it was springtime in the spirit and I was feeling feisty. I didn't wanna take on the giant task of Seattle, but it's springtime in the spirit and I'm feeling feisty. And in fact, I was created for this and so were you. People are falling asleep in churches all across this region because we haven't given them anything worth fighting for. And I'm telling you, it's springtime in the Northwest, so let's get ready for war. Now, 2 Samuel 11, I'm gonna fast forward for a minute, tells us the story of David's great sexual sin with Bathsheba. But hear me, friend, David's problems didn't start with him sleeping with Bathsheba. It started with him sleeping on his assignment. When you aren't active in doing what you were created to do, you get bored and start looking for outlets to entertain your flesh. No, you were created for war. Hear me, you were created for battle. You were created to do something spiritually significant with the time that you have on loan from God. You were created to sleepily occupy a seat in a church where you're bored to tears, checking a religious box because you're scared of going to hell. You were created to fight all of hell. You were created to have authority over demons and darkness. You were created for the task of revival and reformation. And if you are bored in your faith tonight, I would submit to you it's because the army went to the front lines and you stayed home to surf Netflix on your couch. It is time to get ready to fight. We're fighting because Seattle matters. We're fighting because the UW matters. We're fighting because the best days of this region are ahead of it. We're fighting because we owe this region an encounter with God. We're fighting because it's worth it. We're fighting because revival is our legacy. We're fighting because this is our city. It doesn't belong to the devil. You got a reason to fight. You got a reason to fight. When David shows up to fight Goliath, he finds his brothers talking instead of fighting. He says, is there not a cause? They say, did you just come here to embarrass us? Go back home and take care of the sheep. I'll tell you, when a young man or a young woman gets a revelation that there is a nation worth fighting for, it will always irritate those who have fallen asleep in their assignment. Let them be irritated. Take out the giant that's in front of you. It's springtime in the spirit. Do you know the hour in which you live? The Bible says that if you would hear him calling your name, do not harden your heart. The Bible speaks to the hour of our visitation where God draws near and we draw near. And in doing so, transformation happens in and through our lives. Hear me, friend, don't ask for an anointing that you aren't prepared to steward. God has made you a priest and a king. Now it's time to go to war. In fact, I get nervous when stuff is too quiet. If I'm not facing at least a little resistance somewhere, it's like, is the enemy even irritated that I'm alive? In this world, you will have trouble. Be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Not I am overcoming the world. I have overcome the past tense. I ha- this was before the cross. I have overcome the world. When you get victory, God isn't catching up with where you're at. You're catching up with where he's at. He lives in perpetual victory. He lives on the other side of it all being done, it all being accomplished, and it all being finished. Does God care about me having breakthrough? He already is in breakthrough. We ought to catch up with where our God is already at. I just refuse to put people to sleep. 
in a boring little service with a boring little sermon with boring little worship where we talk about these esoteric values of what it means to be like a good neighbor and we're just gonna love everybody really kind and it's gonna be great and you know churches have been reduced to like little more than kind of like social welfare clubs that hand out like nice little goodie bags while the entire region slides into a Christless eternity. No, I, I, I was born for this fight and so were you. The Bible says that for this reason, the son of God was made manifest to destroy the works of darkness. And as he was, so are we. Which means if Christ was born to destroy the works of darkness, you were born to destroy the works of darkness. No, listen, you can't grow sleepy or tired in your assignment. Watch. David didn't notice that the season had changed. Do you? That's one of the beautiful things about living in the Northwest is we have four distinct seasons. Now listen, I give the Northwest a bad rap every once in a while because I'm not a huge fan of the rain and the darkness that covers the earth for nine months. But I'll tell you this, there's a lot of places you go where they got one season, hot and hotter, dry and more dry, desert and more desert. Oh, it'd be fun to visit for a season, but pretty soon you get tired of missing out on the distinct changes in the seasons we have in the Northwest. In the Northwest, everybody know when it's shifting to fall. You know why? Because on the last sunny day coming out of September, you're always trying to check off all the tasks you need to do because you know you won't get another chance to do them for about eight to nine months. I gotta get that fence painted. I gotta take care of that thing outside. I gotta make sure that thing in my lawn is fit because if I try to do this in a week, it's gonna be torrential downpour and gray clouds. And all of a sudden we hit fall and the leaves start changing. And all of a sudden you can see it and the wind start blowing and the rain start coming and it gets darker and darker earlier and earlier. Pretty soon, 3.30, 4 p.m. You're like, where did the day go? I haven't seen the sunlight in how many weeks? And then all of a sudden, fall begins to break and that cold, bitter winter air begin to move in. You're like, oh, we ain't playing games anymore. It gets below freezing at night. I gotta wrap the pipes and make sure nothing bursts. It's getting cold. All of a sudden, the heat bill goes up. All of a sudden, you're walking around layered three or four different ways because you never know when it's gonna be 28 for about four weeks in a row. We won't get even any snow. It'd just be bitter cold. And then all of a sudden, the deep freeze starts to thaw. Into February, beginning of March, you get some of them rainstorms. The weather starts to warm up. By April, you're kind of just hoping and believing the flowers will bloom again. By the time we get into May and June, the Northwest is the best place to be on this side of the planet. The most beautiful weather that you could ever imagine. But what the Northwest has that a lot of other places don't is four distinct seasons. And can I tell you, in the life of a believer, unless you become proficient at understanding what season you're in, you'll be in the middle of the winter dressed like a beach bum because you couldn't read the signs of the times. And it was in time, when it's time to fight, and you're just chilling, relaxing, taking the foot off the gas, you'll miss out on a sovereign opportunity for advancement in your life. David didn't notice that the season had changed. Do you? 2 Corinthians 10, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare is not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down a strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Watch how Paul communicates the value of staying on task. He says this, I do not count myself in Philippians 3 to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching ahead to those things which are forward, I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Look, when I talk about fighting, I'm not talking about carnal stuff. I'm not talking about being angry for the sake of being angry. I'm not talking about being frustrated for the sake of being frustrated. Being frustrated don't help nobody. I'm talking about taking responsibility for a city and stopping the mindset of perpetual victimhood that gives you an excuse to stand on the sidelines when you should be engaged in the battle. Well, I got hurt and I got beat up last time and I got left alone on the battlefield and I got some scars and some wounds and I was raised in church and I never really liked it. My parents forced me to go to church. Listen, I was conceived in church. I've been in church longer than just about anybody. I've done more church services on this side of heaven than about all the apostles combined. 
We're always great at giving ourselves convenient excuses for why we don't have to be involved, for why we can ask other people to fight our battles, but at the end of the day, we still wanna reap the reward. I'm telling you, the Bible says fight the good fight of faith. Why? Because a good fight is one that you win. And when you get engaged in the battle, yeah, you're gonna get beat up. Yeah, you're gonna get some war wounds. Yeah, you're gonna have some scabs and some scratches and some scars. But what they turn into is testimonies of God's great sustaining faithfulness that endured you through the dark night that you didn't think that you could survive. And I'll tell you what, scars are stories that we sow into the next generation of a time where men and women who the world was not worthy of stood tall in their task and after doing everything to stand continued to stand I hope you get some scars following this Jesus because he is not safe but friend he is good it's so funny all these negative articles they always come out in USA News and Newsweek and New York Times and they talk about the millennial crisis as it pertains to the church well young people just don't want to be in church anymore and we're losing all the young people and by the time the next generation after them grows up ain't nobody ever going to be in church you ought to come to Seattle you ought to come to the northwest listen the reason why millennials are leaving the church is that we haven't given them anything worth fighting for We put all their spiritual food in a blender and fed it to them through a straw like they're a paraplegic. We've babied them and babysat them to death and made a bunch of excuses for why you can stay in perpetual adolescence and never grow up. I'm telling you, for God's sake, grow up because we got a culture worth fighting for. Now watch, watch, watch. One evening, David got up from his bed. He walked around on the roof of his palace. Now from the roof, he saw a woman bathing. That woman was very beautiful. David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. First mistake, David don't understand his season. Second mistake, he walk in all alone on the roof. The third mistake, he saw a woman bathing and instead of shifting his gaze, delighted in what he saw. Fourth mistake, he sent one of his servants to go find out about her. Hear me, friend. Now watch, because let me correct some theology tonight. Watch. It wasn't Bathsheba's fault for bathing. It was David's fault for looking. You might say, well, why was she taking a bath on the roof? Because in that time period of the world, that's where people bathed. The sun would heat up the water, became a little miniature hot tub. That's where people took their baths. And David walking around, he should be in war. But instead, he's gazing upon the goodness of God, finds something he likes, and allows his carnal nature to put to death the deeds of his spirit. I believe in modesty, hear me. But you could force every woman to dress in a burlap sack and be covered head to toe, and the problem of lust would still exist because it's first a heart issue before it's anything else. Watch what Jesus says. The law says do not commit adultery. But I say if you've looked at a woman with lust in your heart, you have already committed adultery. Which means every person in here at a time in their life has committed adultery. The law says do not murder. But I say to you, if you have hate in your heart, you are guilty of murder. Hear me. The ethic that Christ is communicating is that outward obedience to the law without a change in your heart doesn't produce the type of righteousness that he is looking for. Hear me. Listen. You ought to stop serving the God of try harder. Because the God of try harder is a demon. Well, pastor, I'm really serious this time. This is the last time I'm ever gonna look at porn. Number one, no, it's not. Number two, his grace is sufficient for you. Number three, until you come into a revelation of the radical love of God for your life, you won't have the necessary spiritual motivation to break the bondages of lasciviousness and lust in your own life. The gospel is not about trying to force and restrict your behavior so you can modify it long enough to be acceptable unto God. It's about allowing his spirit to transform even the deepest desires of your heart until what you want at the end of the day above everything else is an encounter with him. And true freedom is found not in an encounter with religion or rules, but in an encounter with God. Now, sometimes when I talk this way, people are saying, so you don't believe in purity and you don't believe in rules and you don't believe in sobriety. No, no, I believe in all of those things. What I'm saying is if you try to achieve those things apart from encounter, all you will be is a whitewashed tomb filled with dead men's bones. 
what you need is an encounter with the Holy God. Oh, I ain't gonna do drugs no more. Yes, you are. I ain't gonna fall into temptation anymore. Yes, you are. I'm never gonna do that activity again because I'm swearing it off because man, last night was so crazy and I had such a hangover. Never again until you get the invite next week. The reality is trying harder pushes you further back, not further forward. You need an encounter with God. When you've got an encounter with God, His Spirit transforms your heart. When your heart is changed, your mind is changed. When your mind is changed, your behaviors are changed. When your behaviors are changed, your patterns are changed. When your patterns are changed, your entire life is changed. But until you have encounter, all you're trying to do is achieve salvation apart from grace. For a righteous man falls seven times, but he gets back up. You gotta get this in your heart tonight, friend, because it'll help free you from religious bondage. Some of you in here tonight, you're operating under the guilt of your last mistake, feeling the heaviness of the bondage of this cycle of sin. Can I ever break this? I hope there's no prophet in the house. You know, it's so funny when we have prophets show up, there's a certain segment that won't come to church and there's a certain segment that wants to come to church. The segment that don't wanna come to church is concerned the prophet gonna call them out because he's like, and now I see in your life 14 days ago, you were doing this at this time. Number one, that's not how New Testament prophecy works. Number two, the goal of prophecy is to exhort, to build up, and in doing so, encourage you in the way that you should go, that you would never depart from it. It's never to publicly shame. Number three, God already knows what you did. <laughs> like he already knows what you did and what you gonna do and what you thought about doing but said you wouldn't do. God already knows. And watch, he loves you the same. You will never be more loved than you are right now. And when you can accept the love of a father, it'll heal the religious performance of your heart. <laughs> now watch, because it gets worse, but then it gets better. Why do we make it other people's job to manage the direction of our gaze? Jesus says, if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. Hear me, friend, it's your responsibility. Temptation will always exist. It's my decision on what to do with that temptation that ultimately defines my life. Now watch, you can't choose your temptation, but you can choose your response. <clears throat> Getting it right on the outside does not take precedence over transformation on the inside. I'd rather have an honest Christian who doesn't yet have it all together on the outside than a dishonest religious person who smiles nice but is dead on the inside. Jesus prefers messy over fake any day of the week and so do I. Now hear me friend, when a person is reduced to an object whose only value is to fulfill your sexual desire, you have removed that individual's personhood and replaced it with idolatry. What direction are you looking in? Where is your mind wandering? Who are you comparing your life to? Who are you comparing your spouse to? The grass isn't greener on the other side, it's greener where you water it. Now watch, watch. David got the spirit of dumb on him. And he's a man after God's own heart because he learns the valuable principle of not only releasing forgiveness, but receiving forgiveness himself. But no matter how much David has it together in other areas of his life, he is still dysfunctional in the deep corners of his heart. He got the spirit of dumb that possesses him temporarily that causes long-term damage. Watch what happens. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him and he slept with her. The woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I am pregnant. I always got this flashback to these old like Maury Povich shows. <laughs> you are the father. <laughs> oh, he don't look like me. It only happened once. I mean, what are you talking about? She was with everybody. I know it's not mine. You know, my boy, his nose is like this and his hair is like, I know this one ain't mine. You are the father. <laughs> now listen, finding out that the person you're with is pregnant is scary enough when you're married let alone when you had a one night stand because you was dumb. I never forget about five years into our marriage, I came home and my wife and I we was living in this little nasty 
house that should have been demolished in North Everett, we bought for $169,000. We was living there in North Everett. It's like an episode of Cops in my neighborhood every single night. I thought to myself, my God, I ain't never bringing no child into the world in this neighborhood. I came home and I was uh, throwing something away. I'll never forget this. I was throwing something away in the kitchen trash. Uh, and I was getting home late from work. At that time, I was still working in politics. I was driving back and forth from Olympia to Everett every day. And I got home late and I was throwing something in the trash and I, I took out the kitchen trash to, I think, throw a bag of fast food in there or something. And all of a sudden, I saw this little stick with like this kind of blue thing on it. I never seen what it did before I held it up. I said, what on earth is this? He said, if the blue line connects pregnant, I said, I bind that in Jesus' name. I, I went to Maria. I said, now listen, tell me one of your friends came over and they was worried about being pregnant. So they took a test and you threw it away. Tell me it's one of your friends. She just stood there, looked at me. She said, you are the father. I said, I, said, that, I get a DNA test. That ain't even mine. It's scary enough when you's married and just trying to figure out how to make a marriage work and finances work to find out your spouse is expecting a baby. It's even more scary to be David and hear these words. Hear me, friend. Look, look, look. Hear me, hear me. It might make you happy, but if it doesn't make you holy, it will only leave you broken. Oh, she make me happy. I'm sure she do. <clears throat> but she a Delilah Jezebel two for one. And if it don't make you holy, no matter how happy you are, it'll leave you broken. Oh, come on, Pastor. Me and God have a side deal. You know, it's because I love her and it's all good. I know we planning on getting married. Yeah, but that's what you said about the last three to give you an excuse. What I'm telling you this is it makes you happy, but if it don't make you holy, it will only leave you broken. <clears throat> Happiness is fleeting. Somebody asked me the other day, they said, what's the secret to a happy marriage? I said, is that your goal? <laughs> I love seasons of happiness. <clears throat> but look, I didn't get into a covenant relationship because every day I wake up and feel like, oh my God, this is Disneyland honeymoon. This is the best day I've ever seen in all of human history. <clears throat> I got into a covenant relationship because number one, it was with somebody I loved. Number two, it was with my person that God made for me. But number three, it's because marriage is actually the greatest form of discipleship that will cause you to be holy if you engage with it properly. I just want to live a happy, happiness is overrated. Live a worthwhile life. Happiness will come and go. Joy is permanent, but happiness will come and go. I just want to be, I'm just not happy anymore. I just want to be happy. How selfish are we in our generation? We have made happiness the altar we bow at and then wonder why we live unfulfilled lives. Happiness does not have the weight to fill the cavern of the human soul. You get that on the replay. <laughs> David brought Bathsheba to bed, but in doing so, brought judgment on his family and his kingdom. My question for you is what are you bringing to bed? What are you bringing to bed? I thought I was showing up for just like a really fun service. What's happening? To what, what are you bringing to bed? What are you bringing to bed? It's not just about who you're sleeping with. What are you bringing to bed? See, one day you'll get married, you'll have kids, and every once in a while you'll find one of them kids in bed. You'll find a toy that they left in bed. You'll find a fire truck that they was playing with in your room, tucked under the covers. It's always a surprise to find something in your bed that you didn't put in there. What are you bringing to bed? See, some folks, they're bringing porn. They're bringing unhealed abuse. They're bringing unrealistic expectations. They're bringing emotional trauma. They're bringing unhealthy habits. Pretty soon, there isn't any room left for covenant because your bed is so filled with compromise. Ain't no bed big enough to bring the baggage that Christ paid for. Now, I can preach on this because I struggle with all these things. You think I'm standing up here as something perfect if you could just be like me? 
oh, when my wife and I got married, I brought a lot of unhealthy, addictive type behavior. She brought years of traumatic, very traumatic sexual abuse. We put that all in the same container, shook it up and made a family. We've been married 14 years. It's been, been the best six months of my life. I mean, we had, we had a hard go at it for several years. But what we recognized is that what happened to us didn't have to define us. And if we wanted our kids to walk in greater levels of freedom than we had, we had to make the decision that it ended with us which means we had to get real honest about the baggage that we was bringing to bed. <laughs> Pretty soon you begin to recognize that your baggage affects other people. Then you begin to recognize that I'm not in control of these habits. These habits are in control of me. Pretty soon you realize that unless I get freedom, I'm gonna end up hurting myself and hurting others. Listen, if you get married, in an attempt to fix your sexual addiction issues, marriage doesn't eliminate them, it reveals them and maximizes them. <clears throat> marriage is not an eliminator, it's a magnifier. It'll magnify who you are. Well, I'm gonna change him. No, you're not. Here, no, you're not. I'm gonna change her. No, you're not. This person who's annoying you right now is gonna annoy you the rest of your life. And guess what? That's part of marriage, is being annoyed by somebody that you have to live with that you can't get away from. That's part of this. And, and guess what? It's really good for you. Because believe it or not, you are not the center of your own universe. Believe it or not, the center of the gospel is not you. Believe it or not, the center of the gospel is not self-fulfillment, it is self-denial. For unless a man deny himself and follow me, he cannot be my disciple. In marriage, the first one to the cross wins. You're constantly asking the question, how can I lay down my life for you? If I just get married, it's gonna fix all my issues. It's gonna create some issues too. You ought to allow God to work on your heart in your single season to prepare you for your married season. Oh, when I get married, I'm gonna finally be having high work ethic. No, you're not. Oh, when I get married, I'm finally gonna be a spiritual leader. No, you're not. Single season is not wasted season, it's prep season. The other day, I was uh, sleeping, it was at night. It was like three, four in the morning. I wake up in a startle. I hear the craziest screams outside in the woods behind my house. And I live up in Snohomish, a little five acres. And we got some wildlife that occasionally marshes through the yard. Little deers, things of that nature. They don't make none of these noises. This noise sounded something from hell, loud, screaming, crazy. So I went outside in the morning, and to my surprise, I saw a bobcat. I thought, this is the strangest dog I ever seen. I said, was you the demon keeping me up last night? Crying, being all crazy? You know, what's funny is the day before, I had my kids out playing in the yard, around the fire pit, having fun, cooking s'mores, hanging out. I did not realize what was in my own backyard until the screams started in the middle of the night. <laughs> See, the chains of bondage are too small to be felt until they're too large to be broken. I'm telling you, <clears throat> when you've got carnality that sits on the seat of your soul, you don't realize how devastating that which exists in your own backyard is until it wakes you up in the middle of the night to such a degree you can't get back to sleep again. People play with sin, they play with bondage, they play with, 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 with these types of behaviors and mindsets and bond, they play with it thinking that e, they are in control of it. But the reality is, is you ain't in control of it, it's in control of you. Well, I can stop anytime I want, but then why haven't you? 
And why didn't your dad and your grandfather before him and your great-grandfather before him? No, what you got is generational bondage. And if you think purity is hard, try breaking a soul tie. I'm telling you, friend, you've got an opportune window of time by which the kindness, the goodness, the graciousness, and the mercy of God will bring you into supernatural freedom. Not that it's easy, but it will begin a lifelong process of consistent development by which every day you will look a little more like him and a little less like what he rescued you from. But what you don't want is to wake up 10 years into your marriage with screams in the middle of the night because you didn't take care of your own backyard. Paul says this, I implore you, flee sexual immorality. Listen, I'm not talking about living paranoid. I'm talking about living with purity. See, porn is so popular in our culture because it gives our generation a veneer of intimacy without any of the cost of covenant. Porn is drive-through covenant. Get your fix and keep on moving. Fatherlessness has produced a generation of females looking for affirmation on OnlyFans. Because when a father is absent, it makes fake compliments feel like real love. If we only had fathers, OnlyFans would be bankrupt. You've got to understand that we are in the middle of an all-out demonic assault coming for the soul and the identity of a generation. You can't play with this stuff because it's not playing for fun. It's playing for keeps. Now watch, in the same way that acts of obedience have generational blessing, acts of disobedience can cause generational damage. Two two chapters later, David's son Amon rapes his half-sister David's other son, Absalom, despises David for not punishing Amon, so he murders Amon and leads a rebellion against David. There's a blessing in your life that comes from obedience, but we live in a culture that wants all of the blessings without any of the submission. Sometimes in our woke world today, I hear people criticize purity culture. Pastors, the purity culture of the church. Purity culture. Purity culture. As opposed to what? Hookup culture, divorce culture, adultery culture, abuse culture, porn culture. Here's what we need. Kingdom culture, honoring God first culture, staying faithful culture, healthy relationship culture. Because here's the good news. Even if your past is filled with mistakes, trauma, sin, and shame, it is never too late to have a fresh start. See, when something says I am guilty, I'll point to the price you paid. When something says I'm not worthy, I'll point to that empty grave. Oh, just like Lazarus, you brought me back to life. Hear me, friend. Listen, listen. I break the shame of sexual sin and sexual abuse off of your life tonight in Jesus' name. It no longer has the authority to dictate your outcomes. You don't know what I've done, what I've been into, and you don't know what I've struggled with yet, but the Father does. He factored in all of your stupidity prior to Christ going to the cross, and he paid for it all, which means it doesn't belong to you, which means every time that you try to own what he has already forgiven, you're robbing God of that which he's already purchased. I break the shame of sexual sin off of your life because shame causes you to go into hiding. Hiding causes you to medicate the need of isolation in your soul. That medication for isolation often looks like re-engaging with those same addictive behaviors and tendencies that God has already rescued you out of until you deal with the root of shame until you deal with the root of abandonment, until you deal with the root of abuse. The enemy's got you in his hook and he'll lead you in whatever direction he wishes. Until you break agreement with shame and condemnation, God cannot free you from that which has caused sin, shame, and condemnation. But Paul says there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, which means if I am holding on to shame, I am holding on to something legally that I am not supposed to own. It's like if you was a felon and your gun rights is taken away. 
You're not supposed to own one. You're not supposed to be around one. If you get pulled over and one is in the car, you're going back to the slammer. You are not legally allowed to own shame if you're a child of God because Christ purchased it. It's not even yours. Watch. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and he sent it with Uriah. He said, put Uriah down in front when their fighting is fiercest. Then withdraw from him so he will be struck down and die. When Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. Watch David. He's such a dirty dude. Watch what he does. After the time of mourning was over, David had her brought to his house and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing David done displeased the Lord. You got to get it. You got to get it. It don't matter how sly you think you is. It don't matter how creative you think your sin is. It don't matter how much you've flown under the radar. If you do the thing that displeases the Lord, it removes you from a place of favor and in doing so causes consequence to be made manifest in your life. Now, David, watch, commits two sins for which in all of Israel, there is no sacrifice to remove its guilt the sin of adultery and the sin of premeditated murder. In all of Israel, read the Old Testament covenant, there is no sacrifice to pay for those two sins. So how the heck can David be a man after God's own heart? (laughs) Because he had learned the secret of receiving and releasing forgiveness, which caused God to renew a right spirit within him remove his sin as far as the east is from the west and put him in right standing before the Father above. I shared his story with you tonight, not to condemn you if you've made a mistake, but to actually paint you a picture of a bright hope and a good future because only a God as good as the one we read about in this book can take the shame, sin, and consequence of your human frailty and remove it so far. The east is from the west and remember it not against you and restore you into right relationship with his father above. (laughs) And if God did it for David, he'll do it for you. Now watch Galatians 5, Paul says this, the acts of the flesh are obvious. He goes, it's obvious. No, duh. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, origins, and the like. For some of you, that was Friday night. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Watch, 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 watch. Paul says, those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. There is a difference between what you struggle with and what you celebrate. If you're struggling today, keep struggling, keep fighting, keep walking, keep repenting, keep in community, keep in counseling. God is not irritated at the penitent sinner who is transparent about his struggle. What God is irritated at is a culture that has weaponized their sin, turned it into a parade with an entire month to honor its debauchery, called it pride, and turned it into a month-long religious celebration of darkness. There is a difference with what you struggle with and what you celebrate. Unaddressed sin don't get better by itself. It continually requires more compromise until you're in over your head. It was the cover-up that brought David the most harm. Here's some pastoral advice. Keep short accounts with people who do you wrong. Be quick to own up when you got it wrong and live a life that pleases the Lord. Now watch, one of the things that the Lord has blessed me with is short-term memory loss for people who do me wrong. I've just found I don't have emotional capacity in my heart to be upset at stuff longer than 48 hours. I just don't. People's holding on to stuff 18 years ago. They don't even know why they's upset. Now, look, if you're married, you'll understand this. If you're not married, you will understand this one day. But there will be times where you get into fights with your spouse, and it's so crazy, and it's so disruptive. And by the time that y'all reach resolution, a couple days later or a couple weeks later, you will not even remember what the fight was about. And see, some people, they hold on to this root of bitterness in their life. Now, when you don't release forgiveness, it's like taking a poison pill, hoping it kills the other person. 
Bitterness and rots your bones. Bitterness, bad for your health. The Bible says, give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive those who are indebted to us. Now you can forgive somebody and still have boundaries. But there's some people running around with accounts that they've written out about all the times that people have done them wrong. Every time they share a testimony, there ain't no testimony part. It's all about everybody who did me wrong and I just can't, and you're like, is there any redemption here or are you just spilling your drama? It's like somebody who comments on Facebook, I'm real upset, and then somebody comments, what's going on? And they go, I don't wanna talk about it. <laughs> then quit posting about it. It's like somebody who gets a tattoo and then is offended when somebody points it out. The only reason you got it is so somebody would ask you a question, so don't pretend like you don't like the attention. Well, 18 years ago, and this person cut me off in traffic, and they did me wrong, and they stole money, and they did this, and they said that nasty thing about me, and I just can't believe it. And what bitterness does is it shrinks your destiny. It kills your capacity to dream. It harms your ability to reproduce. It causes you to live a dry and a shriveled up life. And the reality is, is has God treated you that way? If anybody has room to be bitter, it's him towards us. And yet the Bible says he operates in an abundance of loving kindness, is demonstrated towards us in the fact that he sent his son to pay a price he didn't owe because we owed a price we couldn't pay. And the reality is at a bare minimum, we are called to live lives that emulate the characteristics that Christ displayed while he walked this earth and had a public ministry for three and a half years. And the reality is, is that even when Judas portrays Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane with a kiss, Jesus knows what's coming. The Roman guards are behind him. The centurion and, 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 and the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees are behind him. They're getting ready to arrest him. Even when Judas greets him with a kiss, Jesus says to Judas, what brings you here, friend? What brings you here, friend? <laughs> Let me in here. Psalms 119. How can a young man keep his way pure? by guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts. I will fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Five actions listed by David in Psalms 119. He says, I am guarded by your word. I've been stored up by your word. I have declared your word. I have delighted in your word. And I have meditated on your word. What's the key here? His word. Hear me, listen, listen. I'm gonna try to be careful when I say this, but just listen. I refuse to get up here and apologize for the sexual ethic of scripture. Well, I just wish God wouldn't have said that, but he did, so I guess we're stuck, so uh, we gotta do it. Uh, what's wrong with you? <laughs> Help me understand what's happening in your mind to communicate those things. Listen, friend, God has the authority to determine and dictate the human condition because he is the creator and we are the creation. He built the blueprint for your life. Well, you know, if Jesus was here in the 21st century, Russell, he would just understand because our world is so much more evolved. Our world is just so much different. You just don't understand. You're just a hater. You're a hater. That's what you are. We're going to cancel you because you're a hater. If Jesus was here, he would just, you know, come on. It's really, really? Yeah, yes, really. Yeah. Yes, really. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. It's a light unto my path. Your word will not pass away. Heaven and earth will pass away, but your word remains. Not one John or Tittle will pass away until all things have been committed. Your word is the foundation for my life. Your word is the light of my life. I delight in the law of the Lord. Your word purified my life. Yes! We are unapologetically building our lives. 
of the unchanging Word of Jesus Christ. I stay standing because I'm done, but people act like, these Christians, they act like a bunch of nervous Nellies, you know? Like if we actually believe what the Scripture says that we believe, oh my God, we ain't going, no, listen. People are looking to give their lives for something that matters. And Gnostic humanism wrapped around a few out of context verses is not what matters. Therapeutic deism is not what matters. TED Talks with a half a verse from the message translation is not what matters. Soft selling you ice cream on Sunday nights so we don't offend the witches and warlocks in Seattle is not what matters. This is a radical book. It is terrifying in some ways to follow this Jesus. He is more holy than I have ever dared to imagine, but he is more loving than I have ever known. And so I'll live the rest of my life in pursuit of of, of pleasing him. And it will cause me to, to crucify my flesh even the parts of it that wage war against what my spirit desires. But I'm I'm here to tell you today, when you cross eternity's shores and you look into the eyes of the one whose gaze burns hotter than 10,000 suns, it'll be well worth it to stay true to the upward call of God in Christ. Listen, I am calling a generation to radical obedience to Jesus. Radical obedience. I used to tell people, you can belong before you believe. The Lord convicted me. He said, the only place you belong before you believe is in hell. But when you believe, you belong to me. And ain't no one can snatch you out of my hand. Now listen, you might be looking at me tonight, oh yeah, come on, what do you know? You don't know about my struggle, you don't know about my friend, my in-law, my sister, my cousin, everybody got a, I know everybody's got a different story. Listen, I'm not trying to sound unsympathetic. Here's the reality. Each of us in this room are united in the fact that we all struggle differently. And if you hang out at Pursuit long enough, I promise I'll offend not just you, but everybody around you. We'll hit different things on different nights and you'll be like, thank God I don't struggle with that. And the person next to you will be like, I'm never coming back to this freaking church again. But what I'm telling you this is scripture is an equal opportunity offender. Because yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah. the sword of the spirit, he just addressed just about everything in your heart. He hits you on 17 different things. And the Lord is so kind and good, he won't convict you about everything at once because your heart kind of take it. <laughs> he'll walk you through developmental seasons. Every time you think you've graduated out of discipleship, he'll go, and there's one more thing. <laughs> now, <laughs> and that's true. You walk with the Lord, you know. You're like, I'm good. I'm fully developed. I'm basically the 13th disciple. I mean, like, I've made it. Put me in Hebrews 11. I'm a hero of the faith. And God will be like, okay, but you're jealous, you're prideful, you're cheap, you're rude, you're mean, you got no fruit of the Spirit, and you're not as gifted as you think. And you're like, yo, what? <laughs> That's funny because it's true. Now watch. I'm almost done. Now watch. Stay, I'm, I'm done here, so just stay standing. Watch, watch, watch. I've noticed a pattern. When people deny the authority or inerrancy of Scripture, the very next step is to reject the sexual ethic of Scripture. Now, why? Because when God's Word loses the power to course correct your life, it is quickly replaced by the doctrine of culture, the theology of secularism, and the authority of individualism. This isn't just a book about God. It's a book from God. It's inspired by the Spirit. It's profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness that the person of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Our culture has never met a perversion it isn't willing to celebrate. We are no different today than the pagan cultures of the first century whom these scriptures were originally authored. You can either build your life, marriage, family, and future on God's unchanging word or or culture's ever-changing word. The choice is yours. 
but it's for me and my house. Watch, hear me. We will serve the Lord. This is not an easy task. Listen, this is not an easy task. And I know you're thinking here tonight, why are you preaching this message in the shadow to you, Doug? Come on, this is party season. We're going to sow our wild oats. We're going to have our fun and do our thing. We're just playing games. And God knows the best way to protect your heart, your soul, your identity. And what he establishes in Scripture is a construct to do that very thing. Watch, hear me. There is a way that seems wise to a man. But in the end, it leads to destruction. There's things I read about in this book that wage war against my carnal desires. I'm like, could you just left that one out? I don't struggle with this stuff. Leave that stuff in there. But this one, my God, why'd you have to point this out? But I'm telling you, if you'll get into the Word and the Word will get into you, God will establish your every step. And in doing so, give you a bright hope and, and a good future. Now, look, you might be here tonight and you're like, yo, this message is for me. I don't like it, but it's for me. You might be here tonight and go, man, this is a weird Sunday to show up because this ain't really my thing. You might be here and the Lord by his spirit. You know what I found is when I preach, I could be preaching on any topic. What the Lord will do is take my words and translate it to whatever your heart needs most. It's so crazy. I can preach an entire series on sexual morality. Somebody will come up to me and go, Pastor, that was the best three weeks on generosity I've ever heard in my life. I'm committed to tithing every week from here on out. I want God to bless my finances. And I'm like, hold up, what? <laughs> the Lord would take these words. He'll apply them to whatever your most pressing need is in your heart tonight. So when I make altar calls, hear me, because something happens in these moments when we make altar calls. People say, well, I don't want to come forward because somebody would think I'm struggling. Oh, my God. <laughs> Listen, nobody cares. And the day you realize that, you know, all of the people who you think are thinking about you don't even know your name, it'll be a really good day for you. People don't care. Listen, people don't care. They don't. They don't. Oh my God, I'm struggling with sexual. People don't care. Just get right with God and keep going. And if you fall down next week, get right with God and keep going. And if you fall down next week, come to church, get right with God and keep on going. <laughs> now watch. When I make these altar calls, how I ask people to respond is this. If there was something I'm saying tonight that triggered something in your heart, where you're like, yo, it wasn't that, but it was this, and bam, it hit me right in the crosshairs, then you need to respond. Whatever it is that you're walking through, going through, you need a faith to stand. I wanna add my faith to yours to see God do something powerful in your life. You're here tonight, maybe you're far from God, but you wanna be close. Maybe you're here tonight, you're still dealing with the open wounds from sexual abuse. God loves you. God loves you. And this God we serve has never met a wound so grievous that his broken body and spilt blood can't make you whole. <laughs> Listen, I've walked through stuff that I can't even say. Maybe one day I'll share it but I am the product today of a God who healed me and my wife in the midst of brokenness that can't even be communicated. You might be here tonight, you're dealing with shame and condemnation related to something else. You might be here tonight, you need a miracle. Got a sickness in my body, a disease, a diagnosis, you're in the presence of God. Healing, signs, wonders, miracles being released. Whatever it is in your life tonight, you know you're in need of. These altars are places of encounter. And I don't want you to leave without understanding that you are in the right season for God to break through in your life. Let me pray for you, then we're done. Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, thank you for my friends who are gathered here in this room. God, I thank you for your word. It challenges us, it calls us higher. It convicts us of sin, but it also restores our joy. It's like the balm of Gilead. It anoints our soul. It causes us to come into healing and fullness and transformation. God, tonight, I pray that you would take the foolishness of preaching and you would cause it to make breakthrough in the lives of those who are gathered. God, that you would truly do a transformative work in hearts, minds, and spirits. God, today, we submit the members of our body to you. And we say, do a transformative work, both in us and through us. We break agreement with shame and condemnation. It no longer gets to dictate any of our outcomes from this day forward. 
We break agreement with generational bondage that has bound some of us in family lines for dozens of years. We break it now in Jesus' name. I declare over you, you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. I declare over you tonight, the nightmares end. Tonight, the traumatic flashbacks end. Tonight, the feelings of like it was my fault, shame and condemnation, those end now in Jesus' name. I break relational dysfunction off your life. I break the tendency to get back into unhealthy type relationships that causes you the pain, trying to medicate the abandonment of your soul. We break it now in Jesus' name. I declare over you healthy, whole in your mind, body, and spirit. I declare it over you as God's portion. I say over this city that the pagan gods of sexual lasciviousness and immorality are losing their stranglehold on my generation. I break confusion in Jesus' name. I break confusion in Jesus' name. And I declare over you the truth of God makes you free, sets you free, and keeps you free from this day forward in radical ways like you have never encountered before. God, release your freedom. God, release ministering angels. God, release healing signs and wonders now in Jesus' name. God, release healing in the mind. God, release healing for past traumatic memories. God, we release forgiveness to those who have hurt us. And we ask for forgiveness for times where we have transgressed your holy law. And God, we pray that this church would be known as a place where we are unafraid to be radically transparent about our shortcomings. Because in our weakness, your strength is made strong. So may the strength of God come on the people of God and may our lives forever be transformed from this day forward. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen and amen. If you need prayer in here tonight when I count to three, step out of your seat, come to the altar, don't debate it, don't phone it in, don't ask a friend, don't get nervous. Nobody cares. One, two, three. Come forward if you need prayer. Let's pray, let's worship. Feel free to hang as long as you'd like. Leave when you must. If you're coming back next week, don't come alone. Invite a sinner. Let's fill the house with people hungry for God. We'll see you soon. God bless. Let's worship tonight.